So, Nehemiah chapter 6. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nation, nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you were inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Metabal, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son of, son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehoanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. This is a portion of God's word. All right. Well, welcome again to Aerosmith Baptist Church. And uh, let's just open in prayer again. Heavenly Father, God, we just honor and bless your holy name. You are great. You are great uh, among the nations. You are great, uh, Lord, to us and your mercy and 
faithfulness and your grace is, is great and amazing, Lord. And we thank you for um, your hand throughout history. We thank you for um, ha your hand in our lives personally. And Lord, we just ask you to um, speak your words to us this morning by your Holy Spirit and, and really um, that something would, would really resonate, Lord, with our spirits. And uh, Lord, that you would uh, change us and mold us into the people that you desire, Lord. So we thank you for your word, that we can read it and hold it. And I just pray that you would use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> On October 30th, 1938, Listeners to CBS Radio's Mercury Theatre on the Air heard an interesting broadcast. In the show, the normal programming of live studio music was interrupted with breaking news segments detailing an apparent Martian invasion of Earth. Starting with seeing explosions on Mars, then an object landing in a New Jersey farm. In the next report, Martians emerge and start attacking with a heat ray. Soon there are reports of attacks all across the country, ending with a report of a machine attacking Manhattan with poisonous gas. The reporter mentioning that people are dropping like flies and they're getting reports of attacks all over the world before the reporter coughs and falls silent. <clears throat> well, all of this, of course, was not real, but was a part of the show. Uh, a modernized retelling of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, uh, staged by a future actor and producer, Orson Welles. However, because it was presented with live breaking news segments, uh, apparently listeners began panicking, believing an actual Martian attack of Earth was happening in real time. And though, of course, some now debate the true scope of the public hysteria, saying it was mostly played up for publicity's sake, which is how pub publicity works, right? Either way, it demonstrates the power of media to influence our perception of what is real or not. And we've seen other examples since then, and of course in recent years through the rise of social media, we hear the familiar term fake news. And now, even with digital editing technology, they can create these deep fake images and videos, further blurring the line between reality and uh, not. Of course, these fake stories often have a hidden motive. They are, these images and videos and even text are meant to elicit an emotional response, usually fear or anger. And we see as part of today's passages that these techniques are not new. They've been around since the beginning. And let's go back first and recap a little bit of where we're at um, in Nehemiah. Nehemiah lamented the broken state of Jerusalem's walls and, and its people upon hearing about him. He prays for four months. He has given this burden and calling by God. And, and he's given the approval by the Persian king to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. He arrives there, and his vision and leadership inspire the people, and they eagerly begin the work. 
And however soon after they face opposition from the local neighboring rulers and chieftains, they don't want the wall rebuilt. They want Jerusalem in a weakened and defenseless state so they can profit off the oppression of the people. In addition to these external threats, they face internal problems as well, as we saw in the last chapter. The people are under financial oppression from their own people. They're under crushing debt and interest and even slavery. Nehemiah hears their outcry, sees the injustice, and he stops this practice of exacting uh, interest and orders the repayment of all that was taken from these people to make things right. He leads by personal example as well. He doesn't take a food allowance that was allotted to him and generously gives out of his own money to people. And back and we're into this chapter again, we're back to the external attacks. Um, and the enemies are specifically really targeting Nehemiah and hoping to discredit him and get him to um, abandon the, the building of the wall. And they try three tactics against Nehemiah. Uh, just distraction, and then there's the fake news, and the fake false prophecy as well. And we'll read and study in this chapter how Nehemiah handled these attacks. And of course, we might not face opposition in the same level as Nehemiah, but the devil still uses the same schemes today to try to get us off mission, to hinder our faith and to hinder the spread of the gospel. And hopefully we can gain some wisdom and insight to help us when we face these things. And let's not kid ourselves. We are in a spiritual battle, and we need to be aware of what we face. As it says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Well, I leave it and come down to you. And they sent to me four times this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So the enemies of Nehemiah, here he's close to finishing the wall, and they don't like it. They're desperate, and they try to stop him. They first try to lure him out of the safety of the nearly completed city walls. That was the purpose of the city walls, was to provide safety. And so they try to invite him out to this meeting in a village on the plain of Ono. It's about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And we don't know what kind of meeting, possibly offered as maybe a peace negoci negotiations of some sort. And maybe it was tempting for Nehemiah to, to think of this as just a way to get these guys off his back uh, for good. And, of course, that was not their true intent in calling this meeting. They, uh, Nehemiah discerns either just as a, a word from the Lord or from spies, possibly, 
that really this meeting was to lure him out so they could do him harm somehow. And so he responded by saying, this work is too important. Why should I even stop it to meet with them? He wasn't going to be distracted. He kept his focus on his mission, which was building the wall, and he was so close to finishing. He could not leave it at this time. It was so critical that he stay and finish. And especially going to this meeting when it was proposed under false pretenses. It just it wasn't at all a priority. And he wasn't so mono-focused, monomaniacal, or pharisaical even, to not care about anything else around him. We, the last chapter, we saw that he took time to care for the people of Jerusalem. He knew what was important. Caring for the people is never a distraction from doing the work of God. It is the work of God. And it's not to go around aimlessly, but to purposely seek to meet as many needs as possible, following the example of Jesus. He didn't heal everyone in Judea and Galilee. He healed all that came to him. And he was always still on mission, headed to Jerusalem, headed to the cross. And it really comes down to priorities and focus in our lives. Relying on God for our vision and direction. Both Jesus and Nehemiah were intimately connected to God through a deep prayer life in tune with the Spirit's leading. Nehemiah kept his eye on the prize. He did not allow himself to be distracted off his mission. He understood the seriousness of the great work he was doing, and ultimately it was God who was doing it through him. And it brings home in these times some of the questions that we ourselves are asking personally and as a church. What is the vision from God of our mission as a church? What is our personal mission? How are we doing with that? Are we on mission for God in our lives as a church or as a church body? As part of that, are we also meeting the needs and caring for people both in and out of the body? We do a lot, and we can do more. Part of the wonderful thing of being a part of God's family, the body, is the needs are many and various, but each of us are variously called and equipped to meet those needs. God loves us so much and has blessed us so much, has great plans and purposes for each of our lives, and for this church, let us seek to follow him and obey him and be on mission for him, be on mission for each other and be on mission for our community. Chapter 6, verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent a servant to me with an open letter in his hand. It was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they are all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work. 
and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So the enemies of Nehemiah in this next round changed up their tactics a bit. He didn't, Nehemiah didn't take the bait for their fake meeting, so they up the ante and they try a fake news. Again, nothing new there. They come to him with an open letter, it says. It's, it's not sealed. So in that day, you, the letters were written on scrolls of papyrus, and they would be rolled up and sealed, and not to be, that meant that that, that person who wrote that letter or authorized that letter, this, they, there's basically their, their signature saying, this is, I stand behind this. This, was, this wasn't sealed, it was open. So basically nobody's claiming responsibility for this. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And we think of internet culture these days and you know, people can just say horrible things without any fear of repercussion under the cloak of anonymity, really. It's, it's cowardly. And this letter they sent is just complete garbage. It's full of total untruths and false accusations. It's not credible. You know, when it starts out saying, among the nations, well, which ones? Who, who, who's accusing us of these things? You know, it says Geshem says these things as well. Well, Geshem, we know, is an, also an enemy of uh, Israel and of Nehemiah. So it's, it's not a, a proper assessment. It's a biased report. So they accuse Nehemiah and the Jews, firstly, the reason they're building the wall is to rebel against uh, Persia, the Persian Empire. And obviously, baseless, they don't know, uh, don't know Jeremiah and his relation to the king. He was the king's cupbearer, the most loyal person to the king who, who was, right? The king trusted him with his life, and he wouldn't rebel against him. He had the king's letters. He had the king's approval. He wouldn't, um, he wouldn't rebel. He, they didn't know the character of Nehemiah and his position, um, and they didn't know his character in general. This, this wasn't who he was. And often, people with base character can only project their character and actions on others. And of course, it really wasn't about the letter being true. It was about eliciting an emotional reaction, either anger or fear. In this case, fear. If, if you've ever been the subject, though, of gossip or slander, baseless slander, it's, it's very upsetting and very angering, and you'd want to respond in kind, respond in anger. And, um, but Nehemiah didn't respond that way. And he discerns the purpose was to, again, try to make them fearful hoping to get the people frightened by this letter, worried that you know, they, this letter would get to the, the king and they'd be too scared to continue the work. And, and maybe to try again to force Nehemiah to have a meeting to deal with these accusations. And it was basically a form of blackmail. They were trying to blackmail him into another meeting so they could, again, harm him. 
And of course, Nehemiah um, sees right through the lies, says none of it is true. It's just an invention of their minds. They're making this stuff up. And he's able to stand firm in the face of these slanderous and false accusations, not, of course, in his own strength. He asks for God's help to strengthen his hands for the work. He knows that he cannot do it without God. And in, it's interesting, in our quiet time this week, we read in Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. He knew he needed the Lord's help to do the work of building, unless, or else it would be all vain. And the Lord, he trusted him to protect and watch over the people in the city. And think of a prophecy also to Nehemiah's predecessor uh, in Zechariah 4.10. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not in our own strength or our own might. It is through the Lord's power that he does things, that, that things get accomplished for him and for his kingdom. And as we seek to be on mission for the Lord, we desperately need the Lord's strength to, to do the work. Again, anything we do in our own strength and power is vain. Despite being attacked, Nehemiah stood firm against these attacks. And what are some ways we can do the same? And I thought of a few things. First, Nehemiah lived a godly life of integrity. He was upright in public and private. And we too, just by living a godly life of integrity in our actions, that sometimes speaks louder than words. When words won't be heard, because it's responding to these baseless accusations, what would that, you know, really, to fight these things in, in kind, that wouldn't work. So sometimes just living that godly life of integrity is a proof of the truth of God lived out through our lives. And people can see that, and people are looking for that. Is this true? Is this really? Do you live this out, right? Not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Second, it's being rooted and just knowing our position with God, with God our King. And through Jesus, we're his adopted children. We, we've been rescued by the wages of sin that we deserved, which was death, by Jesus' blood on the cross. And we've been made new and blessed and given eternal life and forgiveness and joy and peace. God loves us and cares for us. And it's, again, nothing that we've done. It's all through Jesus' work. And we rest in his finished work and his grace and just resting in that and, and standing firm in the knowledge of God's love for us is a, a way to stand firm. Third, think of Ephesians and putting on the armor of God and standing against the attacks of the enemy. Again, it's not against flesh and blood, but it is against spiritual powers. And we need to put on that spiritual armor to resist those attacks and stand firm. 
quenching those fiery darts aimed at our hearts and our minds. And again, it's, it's not just a mental imagery exercise. You know, I'm just imagining it, and it helps to imagine it, absolutely. But it is just living out and our faith obediently to God's word. It starts with God's word, the belt of truth, knowing and being firmly anchored in God's word, in his truth. Next, the breastplate of righteousness, protecting our heart, knowing that we are made righteous in Christ and our righteousness comes from him and not our own works. Shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, being on mission again, knowing the gospel and sharing it. The shield of faith, deeply trusting in God and his word, blocking the fiery arrows of Satan's lies. The helmet of salvation, knowing we are saved, protecting our mind from the arrows of doubt. The sword of the spirit, destroying the thoughts and opinions raised against the knowledge of God. So let us obediently seek to grow in these things and to defend us when the fiery attacks come against us. And instead of focusing on the fake news, focus on proclaiming the good news. That's our, that's our mission. That's our focus. Picking it up in verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as me, as I, run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. This last scheme against Nehemiah is similar to the last of fake news, but it's more subtle and insidious because it seemingly comes as a prophecy from God. So Nehemiah visits the Shemaiah in his home and may be invited to hear this apparent prophecy. And the prophecy that is given to Nehemiah is for him to flee to the temple with, with Shemaiah because men are going to kill him. Men are going to come at night and kill him. And if threatened, it actually seems like reasonable advice. The temple is likely the largest and strongest building in the city. It would be a, a place to seek refuge. But the problem is, according to the law, Nehemiah is not allowed to go into the temple. Only the priests are. And Nehemiah knows the law and applies godly wisdom in assessing this false prophecy. Prophecy has to align with the whole counsel of God and should be tested with Scripture itself. If it goes against or doesn't line up with the rest of God's revealed word, that's a red flag that that prophecy may be false. Nehemiah responds 
why should I go into the temple? I'm, I'm you know, the leader of the people here in Jerusalem. Why should I, I, I should be trusting in the Lord, not running in fear. You know, it doesn't set a good example to the rest of the people. If he's running and, and you know, fleeing for his life, right? That's, that's not a good um, character for a leader. And also he responds, how can I go into the temple? Something seems fishy here because I'm not a Levite. I'm not a priest. I'm not allowed to go into the temple. And also, this is a one-off prophecy. It's not as reliable. What did his other prophets and advisors say? It's, it's good to have an abundance of counsel to make decisions, not just rely on one isolated um, account or prophecy. You know, it's another test. If the same message coming through multiple independent sources, then you can give it more weight. And so he discerns this is not from God and that Shemaiah was paid by his enemies to give this false prophecy, which is funny because that's what they were accusing him of. And it's not the first time this has happened. Remember the account in Numbers of Balaam, who um, was hired to give a false prophecy to the people of Israel, to, um, to Moses. And of course, he couldn't. <laughs> the Lord prevented him from doing that and actually gave a prophecy of blessing and not a curse. And um, so the purpose, though, again, was to get Nehemiah to give in to fear, to run and hide and not trust in the protection of his God. And open himself up to mocking and ridicule. Oh, oh he's, he's a coward. You know, he's running. Look at him. Ha. And this ultimately would bring um, discredit to the, the name of God because his servant isn't trusting in him. So why should, why should anybody really trust in him? In 1 Timothy 2.7, it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. And Nehemiah shows this. We all struggle with fear at times, but we're not to live in it or follow it, but rather to trust in God and walk by faith in him and in his word. And as we walk, we need to practice discernment, holding things up to the light of God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-22 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And so often, depending on your background, depending on the church and um, different things, we as Christians, as believers, tend to go to one extreme or the other to completely disregard any kind of prophecy or any of that, or to really just openly embrace every, every form of it, right? And, and there's sometimes not allowed a balance. And, and to be honest, we as Christians tend to be kind of easily fooled sometimes, honestly, to some of the winds of, of uh, teaching that come, that blow through the church at times. And... Um, you know, we really need to uh, exercise wisdom and discernment and pray for our, our leaders 
to exercise wisdom and discernment in, um, you know, sorting through these things and, um, and, and just speaking the truth in love. And this passage, of course, starts with rejoicing and starts on focusing on God. Rejoice always. That's a good focus for us to start out that way. Pray without ceasing. And remember, I already mentioned about the prayer life of Nehemiah and, and Jesus. We need to be in prayer. And we are, in, as a church in this 100 days of prayer, it's a great thing. And we need to just be praying and seeking the Lord and giving thanks in all circumstances and, and having that heart of thanksgiving for what God has, has done for us. His, and in this says this is God's will for us to do these things. And the more we follow and obey God's revealed will to us, the more of his will he will reveal to us. We need to be obedient first to what he has told us to do and what he's revealed to us to do. And finally, we see Nehemiah ends with not lashing out at his enemies and these false prophets and, you know, just laying into them and how can you do this and do you know and, you know, he just, he leaves it up to the Lord. He leaves them in the Lord's hands. And, you know, as, as Pastor Roger read uh, Romans 12, right? You know, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And just to uh, pray, for, pray for the enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in so doing, it heaps burning coals on their heads. He turns them and the situation over to God. He trusts in God um, for him to ultimately deal with. And um, we need to do that too. Finishing in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. When our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in these days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son of law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Finally, the time had come. Despite much opposition and seemingly small odds, Nehemiah and the people persevered. They completed the wall in only 52 days. It was ruined for over 100 years but it was finished in under two months. And others saw the need. They also saw the rubble. They saw the hard work and the opposition, and it was too much for them. They, they did not step up to the task. It took a man with a heart broken for God's people and a vision of what could be, of what should be in Jerusalem. The job was bigger than him, but he trusted in God's strength and followed God's calling. Notice that it was under two months that the wall was repaired. 
Remember back in chapter 1 of how long he prayed. He prayed for four months. So that was the real battle, was the battle on his knees in prayer. And this was just being faithful and obedient. He stood strong against enemies seeking his own failure, his own harm, and he helped the people at his own cost. He was a godly man, but he was just an ordinary man, and God used him for an extraordinary task. In the, in the end, God gets all the glory. The enemies of God saw that it was done by God's help. They, they Nehemiah, they saw that, yeah, Nehemiah, you know, he was just a man. And Nehemiah gave all the glory to God. And um, that's how it should be. Those who were once arrogant and mocking to Nehemiah, where now the tables were turned and they were humbled and they were afraid themselves at the power of God and just in God's working in an extraordinary way through Nehemiah. These enemies, though, were still around, we see. Tobiah had connections with some of the Jews in the city through marriage even. And so these Jews had compromised themselves in in an alliance with the enemy. And because of the appeal of family and likely business connections that made them wealthy, they blinded themselves to the fact that he was an enemy. And all they saw was, you know, the propaganda. And, of course, he would say, oh, yeah, I'm I'm doing good for for Jerusalem. And and they they didn't see the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that Nehemiah saw that he really was an enemy of God's people. And they did propaganda and spying for Tobiah even, praising him to Nehemiah and then reporting back about Nehemiah's um, doings and goings-on. This is what compromise and sin does. It promises life, but it deadens us and blinds us to the truth and the consequences of it. And so this is a final warning in this chapter to us and the hindrance of, to spiritual growth is um, falling into compromise with sin. It's probably the one that we struggle with the most in all of these things. Maybe not you do, but I do. So insidious and sneaky how it can slowly creep in and grow. And we need to be vigilant and even severe in dealing with sin in our lives to give sin no quarter in our hearts, but to be humble and broken and contrite of our sin and confess it and turn from it. And remember just the goodness of God. Remember all that he has done for us. And remember he is our good shepherd, that he is our life. He is the one who promises full life. The thief The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what really the enemies of Jerusalem were trying to do. But they promised life. It looked good on the surface, but it wasn't. It was false. And, you know, it says the sheep know their master's voice. Nehemiah knew his master's voice. As we 
also too should follow our master's voice and his leading. We know Jesus loves us, gave everything for us so we could be forgiven. And, you know, let's seek after him. Let's give our all for him and follow him. Hebrews 12, 1-4 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run with, pers- with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And in a way, Nehemiah is a picture of Jesus, a foreshadowing. And he persevered in the work. He endured the shame, endured the hostility directed against them, entrusted it to his God, and ran the race with endurance, looking at the end, looking at the the finish line, right? Keeping the goal in mind. And... In the end, he finished well. He completed the work, and he finished well. And that's, that is amazing in and of itself, right? That, you know, to, to, to finish and complete the task well. And, you know, it's always sad when we hear of someone who falls in their, in their race close to the end and doesn't finish well. So let's follow Nehemiah's and Jesus' example to run the race with endurance, to, you know, throw aside the, the sin and just lay aside the distractions and follow Jesus and look to him. Keep him in our mind as the focus, who we're running to. Not being distracted from God's vision and mission for us personally and as a church, including loving and caring for others around us. Standing firm on God's love and promises for us and loving others despite facing opposition. Putting on the spiritual armor, knowing that it's not against people that we're fighting against, but it's actually um, spiritual forces. Putting on that armor obeying God in his word and, and following it and applying it to our lives and um, just standing firm on the word against those attacks. Knowing God's word intimately, practicing discernment, not quenching the spirit or despising prophecy, but being uh, cautious, being aware and um, practicing wisdom as to, you know, what are the things that are blowing around out there and how should we respond to them. And not falling into compromise with sin in our lives, but being humble and repentant and, and keeping short accounts and confessing our sins and walking 
hand in hand with the Spirit in his fruit and um, not in, in the fruit of sin. And of course, we can't do any of this in our own strength. We need the Lord to, um, as Nehemiah prayed, to strengthen our hands. We need the Lord's strength in our lives. And um, let us pray. Dear Lord God, we praise you that you are uh, amazing. You are sovereign, Lord, and you are so great and loving. Lord, we, we just love you and bless you for who you are and for your hand in our lives. Lord, we desire, we seek to um, know you more and love you more. And so help us to be seeking your vision and your mission for us to um, stand firm on your truth, on your word, um, against the storms of the world, Lord, and just obeying you, knowing who we are in you, that you love us so much, and nothing can take us from your love in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment in um, seeking out your truth and sorting out uh, truth from uh, falsehoods and, and lies and deception, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us your discernment, Lord. And, and again, help us to be plugged into you through deep and intimate prayer life and into your word, Lord. Um, and just basically just gaining insight and wisdom and orders and uh, from you, our, our uh, master and our, our commander, Lord. And, and Lord, um, also help us to be um, holy, to live holy lives of integrity that um, people would see and know that you are God through us, Lord. And not that it's anything we can do. It is all just your strength and your grace. Uh, it's not in our might or wisdom, but by, by your power and through your Holy Spirit, Lord. And so um, keep us holy and blameless and um, to, to be your people and to proclaim your glory and your goodness and your love and be uh, on mission here in Port Alberni. So Lord, we thank you and uh, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.